anyway, so they made their way back up to the to the very top of the hill uh, to get a better view and just watch the people do busy stuff outside the craft. Um, another thing we should note that the boys never call them aliens. Uh, reference them being different from ordinary people. They never said anything like that. They noted their plain gray clothes and that the people wore like a tight pair of coveralls. Uh, every now and again, the strangers would look up into the sky like they were grateful for the weather, Leo noted. Uh, then just like that, they got back on board and Leo and his brother watched as a rampant door disappeared. And the light started up again and it lifted off into the sky and it was gone. Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Are they are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental? I don't know. Planes that they're building. Police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot. Wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome everybody to Strange Uggles. I am, I'm Shane. And I am Josh. <laughs> That's hilarious. How are you doing, Josh? I haven't talked to you for a bit. Oh, you know, hanging in there, living the dream. Yeah, and so I'm glad it's somebody's dream. Fucking mine sucks on my side. Oh, yeah. I don't know who sold yeah, me dude. this shit, but oh, my God. Yes, being semi-retired fucking rules, dude. <laughs> Keep rubbing it in, man. Yeah. God damn it. I, I don't have to do anything. I Well, I don't have to do as many things that I don't want to do. Nice. Fucking nice. Nothing wrong with that, dude. I was going to ask you, yeah, you have that, uh, how that whole thing's going. You know, we talked a little bit before. Um, yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, like I said, I, I, I keep seeing gamefully employed, but man, there's days. Uh, it's just like if something can break and happen and go wrong, it does, and it does it all in one time frame. It's oh, yeah, and everything ridiculous. needs fixed yesterday. Yeah, exactly. So. Anyway, but welcome, welcome everybody, welcome strangers. Um, I got to say we were talking a little bit off uh, a little bit before the the podcast recording, but um, you know I've got a baby coming, which most of the listeners know, and so we had a baby shower uh, last weekend. And remind me never to do just that alone with the whole house full of family, half of them you don't like all weekend long. <laughs> It's like shit. Get me out of Calgon. Couldn't even get me out of my problem. It was just Calgon. Take Shane away. Oh man. Oh man, dude. But the wife yeah, is happy. Yeah, it's just you know, like I said, I don't want to sound like I'm a hermit. Like I like my space. But you know, you work. She's oh my god, we got to clean the house Friday. So I spent like half a Friday vacuuming, cleaning, dusting, da da da. Only to have them come in within like an hour and a half, just fucking trash the place because <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not like, their I house. Should have just waited till they were gone. Yeah, yeah. It's like goddamn it, I never learned my fucking lesson. Anyway, but you know what do they say? Happy, happy wife, happy life. And so there's that. yeah, but, something like that. It's in my experience, that's also been one of those sayings that's pretty true. Yeah, usually it weighs out the right thing. I will say the good the good side of it though, um, even if she has like the baby tomorrow, again, knock on wood, not jinx myself, but um we've got like double of everything. So, you know, we're set. Yeah, you know, some be said with a with a big family, you know. So Yeah. So we're ready. Good. You know, yeah, we got the nursery up, we got everything going, and so you know, not that uh, listeners want to hear about my piddly little life, but you know, it's a thing. It's a thing. So 
you know, it's called humanizing the narrator, Shane. Is that what it is? That sounds I a lot fancier know. than what I was going to call it. Sounds right. <laughs> right. Kind of, kind of hit and miss. Anyway. Um, but so hopefully you listeners enjoyed last, uh, last episode. Uh, again, we had a Rebecca F. Pittman on. Um, really cool. Hope to have her on again. Uh, did you get your uh, present? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but yeah. it was, uh, yeah, it, I had forgotten. She said she was going to send it and it showed up in the mail. And I was like, what is this? I, I didn't order same anything. Thing. I was like, Oh, this is cool. Yeah. So yeah, she, she told us for the listeners, we, uh, she, she has a card game or something she was going to send out. It's like a horror card game and, and she just really cool to do it. And, and, um, so, you know, and like I said, there's some, there's some quirks to it, but uh, she was really cool to have on. So it was really nice. Yeah, I appreciate it. I think it's going to be a fun game night edition. Not that I we do a regular game night, but if we did, yep, there you go. Yeah, yeah, we but try. Now it's like we, try. we of all we have like six or seven board games. We've played all of them to death. Um, <laughs> so one of those of the ones that we like, and the other ones, it's like, eh. yeah, I, and I do that because I want so much to like. I love games, but the wife doesn't like the same kind of games that I like. I would yeah. love to get into like the, you know, the D and D and the role playing and everything and all that shit, but she just doesn't, she doesn't dig that stuff at all. So. Yeah. Aubrey's not going to play star Wars trivial pursuit with me. No, no. She will. And if yeah. we play regulars yeah. trivial pursuit one more fucking time. <laughs> the, the wife doesn't want to play horror trivial pursuit either. She's like, I know <laughs> nothing about this. I'm like, come on, honey, give it a shake. Come on. Just one. But so that we go back to ghostbusters monopoly. We, we seem to meet in the middle of that one at least. So, yeah, there you go. Anyway, but uh, awesome. And then other two listeners real quick. Um, you might be wondering, for those regular listeners, the Patreon's been seeing it for a while, uh, but there are a couple of SU oddities in the feed. Uh, if you wonder what those are, you know, check them out. They're short little things. Josh had a hand in putting them, uh, putting some video behind them. We got some things on YouTube and, and we're just kind of throwing them out there periodically. They're little, you know, three, four, five minute things. Um, they're fun, you know, so, so we let them sit in the Patreon corner for a while and then we're just gradually kind of throwing them in the in the listener feed uh, for the normal podcasts. And they're just, you know, quick one-offs. Um, let us know what you think. You know, like I said, strangejuggles at gmail.com. They're fun to put together, but, uh, you know, different little quirky topics, if you will. So, anyway, we got those. But, um, but yeah, we've got a topic here that I don't know, man. I, I don't really know how to frame this other than... So, you know, obviously it's about UFOs, which, you know, the listeners are going to know once we get into it. But this one's unique. And, again, I, I want to say when we cover these stories and we find them and we, you know, we get them out there to the public, really like the, like, the small ones that you don't hear about. Uh, was it was it last year, two years ago, we did the Falcon Lake incident, um, the one that was in Canada? Yeah, it was – Somewhere Dude, I around, there. I remember doing it. I don't remember when. I know, right? Time flies by, but it was one of those things where I never heard of it. You never heard of it. It was a recommendation from a listener from Canada, and so we looked it up. And was like, oh my god, here's a an encounter story that you just completely flew underneath the radar. And it's one of those where it was physical. He had physical contact with the ship. Uh, he was sick afterwards. You know, the Canadian military got involved. Yada yada yada. It just really. But and it. What takes me aback is. It really isn't very popular. It's not like you know. Again, the Travis Walton, which one we remember. You know, the big ones that kind of stick in your stick. Yeah, in your the memory. ones that are rehashed on every right. UFO TV show podcast everywhere, over you and know. over and over again. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's not the Phoenix Lights. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we and we covered the Phoenix Lights in our defense. We did. You know, I mean, look, it's a big, yeah, it's a big thing. I'm not saying that those you aren't know. worth talking about. Right, I'm just right. saying it's it's nice to get uh, a little. It's it's nice to get off the uh, well traveled path every now and then. You know, exactly for sure, for sure. So um, I don't know, man. You got anything to to kind of start off with or cover? Or we want to we want to just pull up our trousers and jump into this. Uh, you know, there were aspects of this. Uh, since we mentioned it being a, a lesser well-known or, or uh, at least as as talked about as much uh, episode, there were aspects of it that sounded familiar to me from like back when I used to watch like, uh, I don't know if Ancient Aliens is the right show, but like all the uh, the all the old UFO shows like I'm 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 sure that this isn't like a, we're breaking news or anything. You know what I mean? But, right, right, uh, right. But it is fun it is a, a fun one for sure. Um, and yeah, like there were aspects that sounded familiar and, and I like that it's a older one too. Like, uh, that it kind of, at least it starts before like the rip roar and UFO era got, got going with Roswell and stuff, you know? So it's, yep. it's fun yep. to talk about some of these a little more obscure cases. Absolutely. It, you know, and we'll be hundred percent honest with you. We've got a guess that we, we kind of lined up. He's been on the podcast before he just wrote a book, um, and it's a it's a case study book, and his theory basically is, you know, what we're seeing as far as aliens go, it's us from the future. We're coming back. They're investigating. They're doing history. And and I'll, I'll be a hundred percent honest. It's one of the case studies that's in his book. We're hoping to have him on. But when I I stumbled across it, I was like, oh my god! I looked up the book, and lo and behold, there it was. You know, it's not very big, and it's again flew underneath the radar completely. Um, and so that's kind of where I picked it up at. It, it wasn't something, and, and maybe, I don't know, yeah, maybe it was recycled, something you saw in the past, whatever have you, but um, but we can jump into it. We just want to say yeah. this with us. You know, these are, you know, again, these these little small ones that, you know, they completely fly underneath the radar, uh, you know, years, decades that they finally get found, um, or maybe, you know, the experiencers themselves that wrote the book, they want to put something down on paper, It and it could take forever. Maybe it's a... a you know, sibling that convinces them, hey, you you probably should document the story because it's a thing. And whatever gives them the reason to do that, that's awesome. Because, that, you know, that brings these things a little bit out in the limelight for sure. So on this one, we're actually going to take you guys back in the year 1932 to a small farm uh, that sit at the foothills of the Kildare Mountains in North Dakota, which is beautiful, by the way. I My dad used to truck drive uh, that area. Um, very unlikely place to think that someone experienced something like this story because it is pretty amazing. Uh, but nonetheless, according to this guy that wrote the book and experienced this with his brother called Leo Dorshak, um, after about seven years, he decided to sit down and go, okay, I'm going to put this on paper. Um, and not only his experience, but his long-lost brother, that he experienced the same events uh, side by side, and which makes it even cooler. So again, you know, allegedly, if not, if it's true, it's one of the most detailed encounters that I think we've stumbled across. Um, if it's not, yeah. it's still fun. It's still a blast. Yeah. So anyway, with that being said, ladies and germs, we will take you to the story of Leo and Mike Dorshak and the experience they had in the middle of nowhere, which if you ever been out to Kildare, it literally is in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> so open the gates, everybody. All right, so let's paint a picture here. Um, 
little details about this location, then we'll get into the people in the story for sure. Uh, as far as where the encounter took place, again, I'll say allegedly not to you know be a kill a killjoy, but there we are. Um, Kildare, a tiny town that was started around 1914. This is where this kind of took place, where the farm was at. They built this thing at the end of the Northern Pacific Railway, um, just for obvious reasons. It was founded due to the railway and just a place for supplies, replenishment, all that other stuff, right? Um, in the mid-1930s, when we looked this up, it only had a population of about 500 people. And honestly, man, it hasn't gotten much bigger than that. I, I looked at the consensus for 2020, and I think it had like 920 people in town. So it, it's just one of those small little yeah. farm towns that you, you probably, if you blink and drive by, wouldn't even know it was there, right? So Yeah, I mean, 920 people, that's like a few houses along the road. You know <laughs> if that, mean? you know, we know it has Maybe to have a post office. Yeah, exactly. If you're lucky with a stoplight. Um, but anyway, the, the place is gorgeous. So rolling hills, a uh, lot of wheat, a lot of grains cover the area, a lot of farming in that area. Um, also, you know, good for fishing, hunting, numerous outdoor activities, all that stuff. And this is one of the things that the author of the story actually covers that, uh, you know, they're out and about all the time when their chores are done. Um, and him, him and his brother basically would spend the whole afternoons exploring. And this actually led to the amazing discovery in the summer of 1932. So as far as the Dorshak family, uh, which is him, his brothers uh, and his mom and dad, um, they migrated from Germany, um, first generation. Moved out there in North Dakota, built the farm, um, and then there they were. You know, his dad had a thrasher combine business. Uh, and for those of you who are not farmer orientated, it's like a big wheat thrasher, basically. Um, they still make them to this day. And he yeah. would he would uh, sublet it out. So basically, it wasn't just their fields they would work. He had work all the way up to the Canadian border, and which was cool. So, you know, gave him some money, gave him some scratch. Um, but in the summer of 1932... The problem was the crops, uh, they weren't great. It was a hot summer. Uh, they had a grasshopper problem that was literally uh, running the infestation through half the country. Um, let's not forget prohibition. Let's not forget um, <laughs> finances. You know, it, it was a Great Depression. Ah, uh, yes. Just right about the time that all started. Yep, everything was like just they could not fit for losing. It was just a shitty time frame, right? So their father was forced to take on work at a little gravel pit. Um, and this actually freed up time for Leo and Mike, the two brothers, because before they would have to help their dad work out in the combine. And they literally were, you know, from the time the sun came up to the time the sun went down, they're helping them. Well, now they had free time this one summer. Um, so they decided to make use of it. So, you know, Leo at the time, um, and he is the author of the book, and we'll mention it's called UFOs Are With Us, Take My Word. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. It's a very, Great very title. quick. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> weird, but I was like, oh, okay. Um, it's a quick read, um, and it's not too much there. But that's basically kind of we set the picture. They had time. They're exploring. Odd summer, to say the least, for everybody in the country, let alone in the middle of North Dakota. So there you go. Yeah, so about a mile and a half from uh, the town of Kildeer was their farm. Um, on that summer day, they were out exploring badger holes and catching grasshoppers when it happened. Um, as they walked over a bluff, they saw a machine down in a meadow. Leo described it as a huge round thing, as big as a barn, as near as he could figure, which is uh, pretty big. Yeah, it's pretty big. Mm. Um, he stood there gaping at it and began excitedly discussing what it was doing or even what it actually was. Uh, both of the boys were no strangers to machinery. Um, 
they were familiar with combines and they were familiar with locomotives and even had an idea about the luxury model T Ford that their dad <laughs> bought for nine or $397. Uh, I can imagine, man. Jesus. Yeah. Oh man. But uh, nothing that they had seen, which again, grew up on a farm around machines a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing they had seen compared to what they were watching. Uh, it was silvery, and although it was probably a quarter mile away, they could tell that it was as big as a barn, maybe even bigger. It appeared to be perfectly round, not like a baseball, but uh, m- uh, more like a silver dollar. Mm. Leo counted many different colors of lights on it, and the lights came from a band around the edge. So uh, what I'm seeing him describing is like kind of your classic flying saucer. That's what it sounds thing, like, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they thought it must be a machine because it was rotating in a complicated way. Uh, the flashing colored lights formed an outer shell like a band or belt that went completely around it at the widest point and was turning one way. The inner shell seemed to be standing still or perhaps turning the other way. Uh, the colored lights came only from the rotating shell. Uh, they also noticed that this wasn't built like every other large machine they had ever seen in the, in operation. It was totally silent and produced no cloud of exhaust fumes uh, or smoke that they could see. And if you've seen any old machinery from that time. Holy that, shit. It, it's yeah. a giveaway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not quiet and it puts out a lot of, uh, lot of exhaust. Um, so uh, definitely wasn't a steam engine. Obviously, uh, speaking in German, because that's what the boys spoke around the house. Uh, they were whispering to one another so they would not be heard, wondering if they should make an approach or leave it be. Evidently, curiosity got the better of them. So they decided to go ahead and walk downhill toward the machine. Uh, and they were amazed to find that there was an unseen force that would let them keep or wouldn't let them get any closer. It was like they were bumping into an invisible fence or wall. They slid from one side to another, trying to go around what they thought was a fence or wall, but nothing worked. And this is a direct quote from the book, but keep in mind, uh, Leo makes a comment in the intro that he is not a writer. He is uh, not. His, back- <laughs> his background was construction before he retired. So some of the quotes we'll throw in here. Uh, they're a bit choppy. Um, it, it was a rough It's ride. not just me not being able to read out loud. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, <clears throat> this is a quote from Leo. We tried to approach it over and over again. We went back over the top of the hill around the side that came up and came up on it from a different direction, but found we cannot get closer by any route. Hmm. Finally, we stuck. We just sat back down and watched before too long. We saw the curious rotation slow and eventually stop. And the lights stopped blinking at the edge of the machine. We saw an opening start. I called it a door, but it was nothing at all like a barn door or a house door that hinge out and away from the building. It somehow opened up in the side of the machine. This unusual door just opened up. And out of it came three people who walked down a sort of ramp that just as miraculously sprouted out of the side of the machine. They stood in the dry weeds beside their enormous silvery machine. It had to be a mechanical thing because it looks so much like polished metal. How could they just open the door through a wall when moments before there was no sign of a door? How could that ramp appear and grow faintly out of the side of the machine? 
uh, we had seen no one carry it into place. So that yeah. sounds a like good description. Uh, yeah, it reminds me of uh, Kodos and King's flying saucer opening from The Simpsons. Oh, that's no shit, right? Well, so let's keep in mind to it. A couple things as we continue the story here, um, and, and we'll cover it later on. But So Leo's 12 when this happened. Uh, his brother Mike is about four and a half, five years younger than him. Um, I will say, like, reading the story, and how do I say this? So, yeah, he's not great at how we put things down. It, it is a hard read, but he's very astute like how they put things together. And I guess maybe just because you look, they're on a farm, they're used to helping their dad. They're familiar with this stuff. So they kind they, everything they equate for what they're seeing, they're trying to equate it with the farm and machinery and things that are happening around the, the farm and the town. And it's just things that we've thrown out. He was always thinking and they were always going through. And so that was in the book a lot. I just want to throw it out there because they really took a, a time, I think to go, Whoa, what the hell is this thing? And then go through some of the, some of the problem solving. What can it be? What isn't it? What? And at twelve years old, I, I don't know. Pretty impressive, you know, when you're reading the book for sure. So yeah, just want to set that up. But uh, anyway, so they made their way back up to the to the very top of the hill uh, to get a better view and just watch the people do busy stuff outside the craft. Um, another thing we should note that the boys never call them aliens. Uh, reference them being different from ordinary people. They never said anything like that. They noted their plain gray clothes and that the people wore like a tight pair of coveralls. Uh, every now and again, the strangers would look up into the sky like they were grateful for the weather, Leo noted. Uh, then just like that, they got back on board and Leo and his brother watched as a rampant door disappeared and the lights started up again and it lifted off into the sky and it was gone. Um, they handle it better than I think I would have because holy yeah. shit, if I would have stumbled on that, it would have been like, well, that's not a combine. I, yeah, there would have been a lot more, <laughs> a lot more shitting in the pants that day. I'm sure. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, I would think so. <laughs> the next day they grabbed their breakfast to go and he made sure to write in the book. It was a cold pancake sprinkled with sugar wrapped up up with the handkerchiefs and they sit back out, but found that sounds awful. Yeah, I know it sounds fucking disgusting, um, but found nothing. No sign of anything at all. Not even a mark on the ground. Uh, so now they're second-guessing themselves a bit. Uh, they backtracked and explored, wondering if through all the excitement, they misjudged where they were actually at. So a quick fun fact. Again, I kind of covered this a bit, but, you know, it sounds very far-fetched. However, Leo throws things in this story that are very down-to-earth. Uh, a good example is he was wondering if they were actually crazy or if they were getting sick after they first saw the, the first encounter. So him and his brother are wondering if, oh, my God, if something's wrong with their brains. We got poisoned or whatever have you. Um, Leo said, uh, he said, everyone feared getting sick because the doctor had to be paid. Quote, somehow we knew folks who didn't have any money had to beg the doctor to take a chicken for payment, unquote. Oh, when the days were simple, right? Yeah, tough times though, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's a catch yeah, I guess it's just like now, don't want to go to the doctor because it's expensive and you don't have the money for it. <laughs> it hasn't changed much, right? So when he writes things like that, I don't know. It makes us feel like he's really down to earth. He's really not strictly telling this UFO story. He's detailed yeah. uh, with no commonality involved, basically. And he talks about he talked about the depression. He talked about his dad talking about Hoover and two chickens in every pot. And he talked about mobs in Chicago and his mom and dad were talking about people killing each other over alcohol because of prohibition, like just all these weird one-offs where it's not just focused on just a space story. There's more to it. Yeah. So anyway, just want to throw that out there just to kind of, kind of paint a picture of it. 
Um, almost every other day, they went out and searched the exact same area and the surrounding areas just to make sure they covered their bases. Nothing was found and nothing was seen. And the more they started exploring, the more they continued with investigating, the more they thought they had just lost their gourds completely. Uh, it wasn't until two weeks later when they had their second encounter. Something inside of Leo told him to look up when they hiked down to the meadow, and as he did, they saw the machine flying in the sky and coming down to land on the exact same place they saw it two weeks prior. So, Yeah, and this is a quote from Leo. Uh, we could sense a strange stillness that grew about us. This stillness gave us the first hint I can remember of a feeling that these people could stop all movement around them at any given time. Was it the for- the same force that propelled a strange vessel through the air without a sound? I am certain we were the only witnesses to the ship's landing. It felt very strange to us to see this huge ship landing in a very spot where we had just stood a few minutes before. The presence of the ship was the same as we remembered from our first sighting, a mirror-like exterior with central rotating band that emitted colored light when the ship came to rest. The rotating band slowed to a stop. The lights went out as before. Trying to approach the ship again, we were blocked once more by that strange something that was transparent, both there and not there at the same time, and we could see right through it. We were still blocked from moving any closer, looking about, <laughs> looking about as we noticed nothing was moving, not a blade of grass or the branches on the bushes. I want that machine. I yeah, want whatever no makes that happen. Freeze. Yeah, everyone shut up. <laughs> uh, this time they saw more people leaving the ship. Last time they counted three. This time there were six. Uh, same people, but different outfits. Uh, Leo watched as they went around doing their own business, not paying attention to Leo or his brother, not even knowing they were there. As they reached down to the ground and would pick something up from the earth almost simultaneously, Leo and his brother watched for about an hour when they noticed the sun starting to go down and they knew they had to get back for dinner because, you know, hungry after just a pancake, right? a cold pancake. <laughs> gross yes. uh the, <laughs> they did make a decision to tell their parents and that went over like a led zeppelin uh neither mom or dad seemed to give two shits of their story which is understandable given the time given the times they're probably like yeah, nothing's broken we don't need to call the doctor right. we can't afford it, cool shut it, the fuck up yeah, exactly yeah um Let's see. Uh, They even found a person in town known as Mr. Brooks. He was known for tall tales and they decided to share their story with him. And he said that he believed and he saw flying, uh, saw the object flying through the town. But he also finished the conversation to talk abruptly about how the government was killing cattle and burying them for no reason. And uh, what a conspiracy it all actually was. Hmm. Cattle mutilations, huh? Mm. Uh, So we don't think he was very reliable, although I will say. Maybe he was onto something. Maybe he was. The government killing the cows. Who knows? Allegedly. Um, They did also share the story with the other kids in town, but after the other kids asked them how many times they've hiked to the valley, and they said over a dozen times, but they only saw the spaceship three of those times, the kids lost interest, and because of the heat and because they assumed it was all made up, uh, they were more concerned about finding an old rope to hang a tire off a of cottonwood so they could swing for the afternoon, which does sound like a glorious Doesn't way that to sound spend like a summer afternoon. That is so nice. I miss those days, man. God, so simple. Ah, Jesus. 
Just saying. Anyway, um, the fourth trip is the one that paid off, sort of. So they made their way up to the hillside and into the valley after dark, uh, telling their mom and dad they were going to go night hunting. Uh, as they sat in the shadows, they watched the spaceship arrive, and then they felt a wash come over them. The force field that they had noticed before that trapped them outside, away from the ship, now had them trapped inside where they couldn't move if they wanted to. They were closer now than they ever have been, about a few hundred feet, where they could make out the identity of the people. It seems that they all looked alike. Not like they were from the same family, but they were from the same age, same uh, facial features, but no hair, no beards, same overalls, yada, yada, yada. So, for some reason, they look different, but the same, and Leo couldn't explain that at all. Uh, but that, again, this is a description of the book at 12, so, you know. Right? Yeah. Um, the boys also put together that the people had no buttons, snaps, or zippers on their clothes, and the shoes seemed to be part of the outfit, not separate. They spent what they thought was forever immobilizing the bubble until Mike got a grip on a rock he was kind of teetering on and seemed to slip, and it broke something free, whatever was holding them, and then they were... Loose. So basically they ran a mile and a half back to the farm. Um, well, you know, that didn't scare him enough because by the fifth visit. Sure. It, <laughs> right? Fucking nosy kids. It's like Scooby-Doo mystery all over again. Uh, by the fifth visit, it finally happened and they got close enough to the ship, literally within 15 feet or so, that one of the people were outside doing work noticed them and actually what Leo thought waved at him. Uh, it stunned both the boys completely because they weren't realizing that they were being seen as a person waving at them. And actually, the guy just turned around and went into the craft. And so this is a quote from uh, quote from Leo. That night, Dad left the house after about 10 minutes of our tales. He said he had to do his chores. Undaunted, we told our mother the most detailed version of our story so far. Mother listened to our fantastic tale, asking a question now and then, and finally said... I've always believed that when you leave this world, there's a better world ahead. Maybe you kids have stumbled into something, but no one understands it. I know I don't understand it myself, but I believe that our world surely exists, our planet, as you call it. There's no reason I can see why planets with people cannot also exist in some other place. You've got me pretty well convinced that you're not just coming home with wild stories anymore. It has gone way beyond that point because you have learned too many things to talk about too many different things. Uh, there are so many things that you have learned that we have never talked about where do your words come from? Because they don't make sense. Boys, you'll just have to explore and satisfy your hearts and your mind. As soon as your minds are satisfied and you'll know when your heart, where you are, and understand what you have seen, what you have learned, although the world may not believe you now, maybe in the future, in the 70s or even the 80s, people will believe you. Many of us may not be here, but they will believe. I'm sure of it. And So, that's so many things. Good old motherly advice. And we're actually <laughs> going to take a quick break. Uh, and we will come back because it is, um, it's getting a little thick. So stand by. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality. Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. So uh, now with little more with a little more confidence from their mom, uh, Leo and Mike were determined more than ever to get closer to the ship. 
they made several visits to the valley trying to find a rhyme or reason on when the visitors showed up, trying to find a pattern. Uh, but then up the 12th or so trip, it happened. Um, so once again, they saw the ship and this time uh, were able to walk right up to it. Hmm. No force fields to hold them back. They actually made contact with one of the people that were outside of the ship uh, standing by one of the legs. Leo's brother, Mike, note, decided to start a conversation of some sort as he shouted out to them in a mix of German and English. Leo, assuming he was nervous as all get out, which we really can't blame him for. Uh, the man, <laughs> yeah, it'd be a little weird. Um, the man waved and went inside the ship. Uh, it seemed time was dragging on for, uh, or almost stopped completely as they waited to see anyone else come out. Finally, they saw a person come out and speak to them in perfect German, then switch to English uh, with no accent or issue switching between the two languages. He told them that he could speak any language that was present on Earth and that they have been visiting Earth for almost 5,000 years. He stated they were, quote unquote, responsible for Earth, not mankind necessarily, but Earth and keeping it as healthy as possible. Uh, even though mankind wasn't treating it the same. Damn, what's up? Fucking hasn't changed, has it? <laughs> nope. Oh, nope. Um, Leo's mind could do nothing but focus on the fact that he wanted to get inside the ship, which, of course, why wouldn't you? Right. Um, he noticed how they were close to it, that it almost acted like a chameleon of sorts, changing its color and tone to blend in with the sky where you could not see it from certain angles. He also noticed that it repelled sound, uh, you could stand right next to it and yell and uh, not even know it was there. Hmm. He was close enough to touch it and looked at the person that came out and spoke to them. And almost like his mind was read, the person nodded his head in approval without saying a word. Then they were invited to enter. As they walked up the ramp, the visitor told them they would have to remove their clothes due to oh. contamination. Oh, is it going to get That's sexy? Why. Um, before they could enter the main section. Uh, as the outer door opened and let them inside, it was quickly closed as a mist surrounded them. Then an inner door opened like before. Uh, Leo was studying every aspect that he could, looking for a doorknob or a hinge or uh, that the doors would use any kind of mechanism that would allow them to open. Um, but he found nothing. They opened and closed as if they just appeared as they were cleaned and handed new clothes. The people, according to Leo, were talking to them but sometimes physically and sometimes in their heads which you know classic ufo shit right yeah that's um, common so it's hard to explain while reading leo's words because again he's not a writer uh but it seemed they were all connected communicating in different ways sometimes at the same time which both he and his brother found it difficult to understand as they were being escorted to an area the person who met them at the door spoke in leo's mind <laughs> Or sorry, again, Leo's not a writer, um, but uh, <laughs> Leo's not. mind was wandering while he was being yapped at, basically, by everybody. I, I mean, I mean, when it yours too. So, you know, like you said, typical classic UFO. And again, you know, it's this is where it, it's a lot to take it. Like it's getting deep. So, you know, if I'm listening to this story, I'm like, okay, fucking whatever. But you know, it it these are kids in the middle of a fucking farm, and it's following the same pattern that other stories are. I, I, I don't know. I, again, you know, it's one of those things where we want so much to believe. But, uh, but you know, he put this down. Um, this is a quote from Leo right out of the book here. And we felt very relaxed around this man and a silent companion. 
They seemed to have something about them that other people we had met before did not have. When I look back, I think that perhaps it is the other way around. Maybe they like something that was present in everybody we had met before. I am certain that hatred and violence are not part of their behavior. It does not seem to exist with them, although there was only one of them speaking directly to us. I had the impression they were all nearby and listened closely to our conversation. These people seemed to believe us when we talked to them. We talked about the droughts and the other real things in our life. They were very good listeners and were able to get us to talking about anything and everything. Whatever the topic they seemed to understand, uh, they seemed to realize that our world was in trouble and understood about the depression and the drought as we talked about failed crops and the grasshoppers that were eating in the whole countryside. They seemed to understand fully and gave us the impression that the people of our planet had somehow brought these troubles on themselves. Uh, they would have to solve these problems through their own efforts. As a year since, they have known everything that has happened, though sometimes a strange and unexpected twist. How they knew these things in advance, I do not know. According to them, man has his own mind, and he will use it to create and solve his own problems. He will advance until he hits a certain point in his growth, and then he will face a barrier or an interference that will prevent him from the one critical point, and he will eventually get himself into a lot of trouble. So yeah, it sounded all cool and kind of philosophic, and then he added, oh, it's going to get them in trouble. <laughs> so anyway, but uh, yeah, again, quote right out of the book. Um, As they entered the main ship, they were in awe. It seemed that light was coming from everywhere. Even though from the outside you couldn't see in, from the inside, there were windows or openings to see the sky, landscape, etc. They had what Leo and his brother later would know kind of as a TV. There was a monitor that was playing a real-life recording of the mountains and the surrounding areas uh, inside the ship. The boys, once full of questions, uh, had barely anything to say at this point. I mean, dumbstruck, I think, would be the word for it, right? Sure. Um, the people continued to talk to them, telling them they were responsible for studying life patterns, quote-unquote, and that there were 12 other groups that live on the planet full-time, without us knowing or even aware. Leo asked about the force field and how animals would sometimes look like they were frozen in place, along with the grass, trees blowing in the breeze, etc., etc. The visitors said they were able to freeze things in motion, birds, rabbits, up to three miles from where the ship would actually land, um, which didn't really cover in the story, but several times in the book um, they mentioned this, that they basically everything around them, and that kind of goes with the same thing of like you know, cars breaking down when they encounter something, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the same, kind of the same thing. Anyway, um, when Leo asked about the lighting, they said it was built in the middle of the ship itself, same as the color changes. Uh, a far cry from all the kerosene lanterns that they used to use when they were growing up. The light alone just fascinated them because he brings it up all the time in the book. Um, yeah, I bet. Well, yeah, holy shit! I mean, I'd be taken away. Well. You know, let's start with just seeing it, first of all, and then going yeah. from there. Um, they showed them where they ate and the bathrooms. Uh, there were no towels or products of all. No toilet paper, no nothing. Everything was clean, white, sanitized. Uh, and there's another quote in the book from Leo. When the time came for us to leave them and return to the farm, our minds were full and tired, and the evening had grown quite late again. We had learned all we could at one time, and they seemed to agree with us as we were preparing to leave. It was our last contact with them uh, for that year. In the years following our first contact with the visitors, our mother died after giving birth to my sister, Mary. We also got electricity just about that time, and Dad had his hands full trying to take care of me, Mike, and our little brother, Hank. Now there is Mary. We had a center to live with my aunt for the first three years of her life, but she got to come home and stay with us over the summers. I saw the spaceship off and on after that first year, and even saw it land several times in 1933. I had the pleasure of seeing it landing about two miles south, 
and a mile and a half east of Don Center near North Dakota. It continued landing in that location from 1933 to 1934. No one in Don Center seemed to mention it or pay attention to it at all. In August 1936, about the end of the month, around 9.45 in the evening, I saw their ship land at the location near Don Center and decided to walk to them. As I approached the ship, I was allowed to enter through their magnetic forces. The ship didn't look any different from the ship I'd seen for years ago, way back in 1932. I was welcomed by three people and was certain they were the same people I had met back then. Since they did not use individual names, it is hard to say for sure, but when I found myself back with them, it was like they were old friends and uh, my experience, and I had no fear at all. They asked me to come out again, and that same feeling came over me. I found the most welcoming feeling from them, kind of like I was visiting family for Thanksgiving or Christmas, which is <laughs> fucking crazy. Um, yeah, right. I mean, Jesus. So, uh, Leo Noor's brother had no further contact with anything until 1938. By this time, he was 18 and driving from Watford City, North Dakota, when he saw a spaceship landed just off the bridge he was driving on. He pulled off the side of the road and walked down to the ship, knowing or feeling that it was the same ship and hoping the same visitors. As before, the doors opened and out stepped a familiar face. They chatted briefly before the visitor was called back in the vessel to take off. He saw them again in 1939 near Sydney, Montana, and walked down toward where the spaceship had landed. Uh, This is another quote from the book. When I was within 100 feet of this huge spaceship, I noticed the unusual door opening and two people coming out, raising their hands towards me. As I moved forward, I'd hope they were the same people I'd met before. After I approached within five feet of them, one of them walked up to me, put his hand on my shoulder and said, it's good to see you again. Hmm. As we walked toward the spaceship, both of the other men came over and also individually put a hand on my shoulder and said, it's good to see you again. My heart had jumped into my throat. They were my friends, the same men I had met before. One of them also said to me, we always look forward to seeing you. We feel you respect us deeply. Uh, Mike and I had a more the deep respect for them. He looked at me and stated, you have changed quite a bit since 1932. I replied, I have noticed no changing in you at all. I don't quite understand this, but it does not really concern me. We are several thousand years ahead of your time, he answered. We are germ-free and our life expectancy is quite different from yours. At this time, it would be impossible for us to explain to you how we have accomplished all this in our lives. These things you would not understand, but we can assure you If your scientists would devote their time to increasing your lifespan, people on Earth would be capable of living a good health much longer than you do now. It's like, come on, dummies, get get, (laughs) get your shit together. Oh, man. And the whole, like, putting uh, their hands on their shoulders that just, I don't know why, but that. Uh, It it cracked me up, too. And he he mentions that a lot. And I'm like, is that? Okay. So maybe that's where they're free because they don't fucking shake. God, fuck, I don't know. Anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe. It's like, no, your hands are dirty, bro. I ain't shaking. (laughs) You dirtbag. Leo lost contact with them completely in 1941 when he was called into the service for the Navy and served in the South Pacific. He was stationed on a minesweeper and participated in invasions in Okinawa and Hiroshima. Uh, Mike was younger than him by five years, but he was listed as, or he enlisted as soon as he was old enough and served in the army. During the last two years of war, Mike served with uh, Patton in the South Pacific, 
We're hearing two Purple Hearts and several citations. Mike decided the military life was for him and made the Army his career. Leo was discharged from the Navy in 1948 and moved back to his home in Kildare uh, to the same area where his experiences were had, hoping to have them again. For some reason, he just couldn't make contact with them for uh, with them or fit into his old home, so he left Kildare in late 1946 and moved to Bozeman, Montana to work as a salesman. Finally, in 1950, he saw a ship in Montana along the highway near uh, Sappington Junction, but the ship never seemed to land, and he wasn't even sure if it was the same ship from his childhood. His brother Mike was transferred to a duty in Japan to serve in the Korean conflict and was reported killed in action in July of 1950 after earning a silver star. Ugh. Yeah, that's crazy. And then you just look at the time frame, you know, and again, you know, the realness of they're off to fight for the war. They're, you know, I, I, you know, believe it or not, the story is just how it was wrote. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It, it just, it rings with me, but we can talk about it after the fact. Uh, in 1962, Leo and his three young daughters and two of their friends were driving. They saw a ship moving through the evening skies relatively near the highway. Leo thought this might be the opportunity that he could share with his daughters, and they were not very much older than what Mike's age was when they first encountered the ship long ago. They spotted the ship and watched for about 30 minutes, but unfortunately the ship disappeared into the sky, and it was it. On October 21, 1963, at about 8.15 p.m., he was driving to the same area again, and he decided to give an effort uh, just on the one-off chance that he would see the ship as he had a couple times before. He was hoping at least seeing some familiar faces and some friendly faces would put him kind of at ease. Uh, after resting for about five minutes in the area, he spotted something about a mile down the hill. When he was about halfway down, he noticed the area around the ship was lit up with soft, indirect light that he remembered so well. He could see about six people moving about on the ground, and he thought they should be pleased to see him again after such a long time as he started walking a little faster as he met them. Without saying a word, he approached the first one and put his hand on his shoulder <laughs> like he did several times before, <laughs> and the visitor did the same. After a short silence, Leo spoke. Quote, it's been many years since we last saw one another. The visitor shook his head, yes, with a big grin on his face. We did hope to see you again. It will be quite a while until next time, though, because we are traveling back to our galaxy, and there will be another one of our spaceships traveling about your world, but they will make far fewer landings than we have. They will be more interested in what man is doing in outer space and be in a much different kind of ship, which will be landing on the same location on Earth in 1971, 72, and 73. Sad to hear the news, Leo chatted for a while and let the visitors move on to their next destination. Leo never saw his friends again and moved on with his life, telling this story to only his closest friends and family. In 2002, he decided since his brother Mike was gone, he was the only other one to experience adventure and worried about his memory failing. He decided to put everything down on paper. Leo stated more than once that he never cared whether people believed him or not. The things that the visitors told him and Mike all came true from the corruption of our countries to wars to diseases. It solidified to Leo that his experience happened and anybody that has called his bluff can pretty much kiss his ass. And that's in his book, which I find that hilarious. Uh, Leo passed away on April 28, 2007 in Helena, Montana, at the age of 86. He was the last one to pass out uh, to pass after all of his siblings and even had started a second book to continue to tell his experiences, but never finished. So. There you go. The story of Leo Dorschach and his uh, his brother 
you know, and again, I, I guess I'm, it sounds far-fetched. It sounds like, but Travis Walton says the same thing about things he experiences. Other experiencers say the same thing about how I, I really just what, and I just want to share this with listeners because this is how he writes in the book and how he mixes just real life problems and bullshit and growing up and famine and everything else. And they're like, oh, and then we want to see, see the UFO again. It just, I don't know. It really put everything in perspective to like, this guy's making this shit up. On top of the fact is it took him like, what, eight, 18, 21 years old was the last time you saw him. And he was literally 70 when he finally said, you know what? I, I guess maybe I should write this stuff down. I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know what your thoughts are on the story, but, and listeners, again, you know, you can write in streetjunkles at gmail.com, let us know. But, you know, it's one of the most engrossing encounter stories I, I've personally read. Um, it was short and sweet, a lot to it. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, well, Mike definitely did not serve with Patton in the South Pacific because Patton was never there. Um, but oh, aside from oh, really, oh, okay, yeah, oh, that yeah, was he, uh, interesting. Yeah, uh, after the German surrender in '45, uh, he tried to get a command in the South Pacific, but it never ended up happening. Good call. Um, yeah. But anyway, that's besides the point. I just read that and was like, "Wait a minute!" and did some <laughs> googling while you were finishing up the story. Nice. But uh, all that aside, I mean, that's something that an old guy could probably misconstrue uh, maybe or something yeah, yeah you know yeah um but even if he made all this shit up out of whole cloth it's still a great story uh, yeah, well um, there you go even if this is all bullshit it's like man you know maybe I'm, uh, look i grew up in montana i i was that was just me i can make up whatever story i wanted it's called imagination maybe yeah well and you know? and not saying that he did um by any means mm-hmm. i just like wanted to correct the record on that one but um <laughs> But like you, you ass, it, <laughs> fair enough. It doesn't <laughs> like it doesn't matter, right? Like, uh, I don't know. I I want to believe that it at least some of it happened because it's a cool story. But even if it's just a cool story, it's still a cool story. It's still a cool story. Well, and and so when I read it, I kind of did. You know, I went back and analyzed it. And then I bounced it off other encounter stories like Travis Walton, like um, the Falcon Lake incident. And so, you know, especially, and I think this is how I put these things in perspective for me, You, especially the year 1932. Okay, we're pretty, like, industrial. We're not there yet. We've got machines. Yeah. We're still. But these encounters are the same encounters and the same patterns when they meet what the ship looks like, how the people are dressing as there was a, an encounter, I think in the early forties or mid thirties in Sweden, it almost mirrors this, right? So it's like, okay, you know, it's kind of like Bigfoot. Oh, it doesn't this. Yeah. But you know what? It's been in China for how many hundreds and thousands of years, the same story about the same creature doing the same thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's how I like, okay, well, Maybe there's something here, but yeah, like for, I don't, okay. I do know why I got on this subject, but like I read this right up uh, this morning, which thanks for putting that together, Shane. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, I was listening to uh, weaponized, I think um, earlier today. And they were Mm. talking about going to a UFO conference and, about like there being like trolls and like people badgering them about like 
you know, nitpicking details and stuff. And it made me think of when we went to the Utah UFO conference and like mm-hmm. talked to that one guy who like, we asked him like a really simple question of just like, what do you think about this? He's like, Nope, it's wrong. And it just got me thinking about like how everyone in the like UFO community at large wants their viewpoint and their viewpoint alone to be the right, correct thing. Right. Right. And like, just picks apart anything that doesn't agree with that and yep. doesn't line up with that. And it like, I don't know. I was thinking about that a lot today. Um, and, and it doesn't allow for more than one thing to be true at one time, which is uh, just kind of how the world works. Like it, it is, but it's bullshit is right? all the time. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. So I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to like pick the story apart and be like, well, actually, you know what I mean? Yeah, but I get it. I mean, it, look, you know, this is one of those things. Again, that's why we talk about these things, because it is fringe, because it is. And I've said it time and time and again. If a UFO landed in my backyard and Jesus stepped out, I'd be the first one to go, all right, fuck, you got my attention. You know, talk, yeah. to, tell me what you got. You know, that's really what it boils down to, you know. And and it, like when you reference a weaponized, by the way, cool podcast, if uh, you listeners never heard it. Um, it's a fairly new one. Um, check it out. It's really, really kind of neat. It's got George Knapp's part of it. Um, anyway, you know, that things are so specific now and, oh, there's experts now and there's, and everybody's got a soapbox now when maybe, I don't know, maybe in the back of my mind reading something from a guy that experienced something in 1932. So he says at 12 years old and put it on paper 40 something, 50 something years later. I don't know. Maybe it was refreshing more than anything. I, I don't yeah. know. Maybe that was part well, of it. And know? like, if it is, if it doesn't line up with what people think of as like encounters and like what the UFO experience is now, I don't think that that's really matters because there could be more than one group of people coming here. Absolutely. Or, you know what I mean? And, and like, yeah, they could be, extraterrestrials but they could also there could also be ultra terrestrials and maybe these this particular group are the people that uh michael p masters talks about that are us from the future coming back to check mm-hmm. things out yeah you yeah know? yeah and that doesn't there. mean that none of the other things are true just because you decide that's the theory you like the best it doesn't mean that all of the rest of it's made up you know what i mean nothing Kinda, has to fit in the same glove that, yeah you know come on you know, the yeah, the like there can be orbs that are definitely not craft and there can also be enough things that are definitely nuts and bolts crafts and they're all UFOs because they're all right unidentified. Right? Right, right. But, you know, like they don't necessarily all have to come from the same place and one existing doesn't mean the other one doesn't, I guess is all I'm really no, and, and I understand that 100%. And I think uh, it's one of those things where, look, you know, m- the general consensus nowadays, you know, for the most part, you know, unless you talk to some asshole, you know, people believe that there's more than one race that are visiting our planet. There's just not one. There's six. This is where they're fi- You know, like there's different. Yeah, but again, I mean, you know, that would make sense. There's like, it would have this to is make one sense. thing. I got to, I got to nitpick with sci-fi a little bit real quick, but like, that's one thing that kind of gets oversimplified in most of like, even some of the best sci-fi is it's like, Oh, only these particular kind of creatures come from this planet. You know what right. I mean? And nothing right. else. And it's like, well, I don't know, man, like, or like one planet has only one type of climate. And it's like, mm-hmm. we got everything here on earth. Why yeah. wouldn't other planets be the same? And why wouldn't there be more than one spacefaring race civilization a- a- whatever, absolutely you know? and, and look at it like this too you know say for example michael p masters you know his theory is 
you know, we come from the future. Well, that's us from the future. Who, you know, there's other countries out there. You, you yeah. know what I mean? I mean, it's the same. I, I don't know. There's so many different ways to look at it and view it. I think sometimes we just really, we need to not quite be so analytical and just listen to some things. And, you know, I don't know. And again, if this guy want to make any, it's the same thing for somebody that sees a ghost or something like that in there. Uh, what are they gaining from it at the end of the day? You know, because ninety yeah. percent of the time it backfires on them, and they get made fun of, and they get ridiculed, and they get yeah, or drunk like through the get grades. fired from their jobs. Yeah, yeah. You know? yep. It's like okay, so you're not getting attention for the right thing, but you know, just saying. I don't know. Cool story. Um, you know, folks, let us know what you think about it, or if you have any like one off. Say again. I thought it was so neat because we never really, you know, we we don't. This doesn't circulate a lot, so it's really really kind of cool. But uh, feel yeah. free. You can write us at strangeuncles at gmail.com. Let us know. Um, and where are we on socials? I guess we'll kick that off. We are at Strange Uncles Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. We are at Strange Uncles on Twitter. We have a YouTube channel that I will get around to updating at some point. Um, Patreon. Enough. Did we talk about Patreon? We have, we're at Patreon, Strange Uncles slash we are patreon.com slash strange uncles. One day I will say there, that. There, right. there you go. No, no, no. If they don't get it by now, they never will. So, yeah. I mean, you, y'all know how Patreon works, right? Just go there and look for us. We're click, there. Click, click, um, click. We'll take your money and give you some stuff. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. You, those are the places you can find us. Um, since it is just the two of us, I doubt you'll find us in very many other places anytime <laughs> soon. Touche. No, awesome. Awesome. And uh, you keep in mind too, we've got uh, some guests lined up. We've got some other things lined up. Check out the issue oddities. Give us feedback on that. We've already had a little, a lot of nowadays people like the short little stuff where, you know, they don't have to listen to something for an hour at a time. They can listen to something for six minutes and go, oh, cool, cool. That was cool. And move on with their day. So, yeah, you know, that's kind of what these are. So, you know, let us know. But uh, that was the story of Lior Dorschach. Uh, excited to cover it. Enjoyed the guy. It was fun, I thought. And I don't know, man. I don't have anything else on my side unless you do. No. Awesome. All right. Look up the skies, everybody. Close the gates.